We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Live, and what a week it is as we make our way towards a new college football season just a few days away now. I'm Wendy Nix with Tom Luganville and Sam Acho and Lugs. Here we go again. You ready? I am ready, but I'll tell you what, I'm severely depressed because when you're doing television with somebody who evaluated coming out of high school, it really takes its toll on you. These are dark, dark times. <laughs> hey, well, it's Stand great. Well, it's funny. Rebuttal, We're showing this video. Absolutely, huh? absolutely. Well, that's the, those are the teams I played against right there. A&M, when you recruited me, I was going to go play A&M, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, and my how things changed, but we do have news out of College Station. Haynes King uh, will be the Texas A&M starting quarterback. That's according to Jimbo Fisher. He said that today, and King takes over, of course, for four-year starter Kellen Mond, who led the Aggies to a number four finish last year before he was taken in the third round of the draft by the Minnesota Vikings, but he won't be alone. There's a number of new faces in marquee programs around the country. Six teams in the AP Top 10 had to replace their starting quarterback, including all four teams who reached the playoffs last season. Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. And it's not all that often, Luke, that we see so many of the nation's top programs have to replace their starting quarterbacks. It's always one or two. In this case, it seems like just about everybody which of these quarterbacks do you believe is in the best position to succeed? Well, I think it's DJ Uyangalale at Clemson, and I just feel like there's enough of a sample size there uh, in meaningful snaps a year ago to lead us all to believe that he should hit the ground running. Now, you lose the production of Travis Etienne, you lose the production of Amari Rodgers, but I think he's going to change their offense. Not only will he fit in from a passing game perspective as they get a lot of weapons back, but I think you're going to see significant run game production from DJ, which will also ease that transition and take pressure off of that offense. Yeah, and for me, it's got to be Hudson Card. I would say Hudson Card at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian is the quarterback whisperer. Like, that's what he does. And whether Hudson Card gets a starting nod or Casey Thompson, I don't believe it's been officially announced yet. One of those two quarterbacks will be great under Steve Sarkeesian. To go off of Luke's point, the run game. Texas is going to lean on Bijan Robinson, a Heisman candidate. They've got another great running back, Roshan Johnson, as well. And so it's going to be Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, whoever Steve Sarkeesian decides to go with. We saw what he did in Alabama. We saw what he did with, with, uh, with Jake Locker as well at Washington. That's who I got. He said uh, right scoring here, right? records like, at Alabama. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, like he's the – you didn't hear me, Wendy, because I was whispering like Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian is the quarterback <laughs> whisperer. The, anyone who got named a starter in their first year under Steve Sarkeesian set a record for Steve, with Steve Sarkeesian. So, anyways, y'all see the graphic, but Steve Sarkeesian, Hudson Card, or Casey Thompson, they're going to dominate.
I'm not worried about the quarterback position. I'm really not. I'm more worried about the wideouts and the skill and the type of skill they have. Steve Sarkeesian has been so used to having elite players in space, guys that can take the top off the defense. The quarterback position, I think, will be fine. It's going to be interesting to see what the weapons are like. Well, he certainly had those uh, weapons in space when he was at Alabama. And as I mentioned before, set scoring records the two seasons he was there as the offensive coordinator. Uh, let's go ahead and look ahead to the first week. We call it week zero. Week one follows, of course. And there really are some, some interesting matchups straight out of the gate. Uh, Scott Frost still searching for his first winning season at Nebraska. He will play this weekend with questions swirling the Cornhuskers face Illinois with Justin Fields now in Chicago replace starting quarterback CJ Stroud will look to give Ohio State their 19th straight Big Ten victory they have a matchup against Minnesota and finally Nick Saban and the defending champs face a tough matchup in week one Derek King and the Miami Hurricanes so again we've got Alabama and Miami Bama has not lost an opening week matchup with Saban as the head coach uh, in a ranked Big Ten matchup. Both Penn State and Wisconsin are looking to bounce back from a disappointing 2020. The Badgers have lost five straight against ranked opponents. And in the marquee matchup of week one, there you see Penn State and Wisconsin. Again, week zero, and then we transition into week one. So Labor Day weekend, the first full slate of college games, and none other than Clemson and Georgia. Talk about a potential statement-making game for really, certainly for Georgia. They marked the 19th, 10th season opening matchup between AP top five opponents, the first since 2017. So listen, whether you talk about this weekend where we, we have some games that certainly matter or the first full slate the following Saturday, Sam, teams have a chance, some more than others, to make a statement straight out of the gate. Who do you think uh, can make the biggest statement as we start a new season? Well, they always say that if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So I'm going Miami versus Alabama. I think Miami has an opportunity to beat the best. They're playing Alabama in week one. They've got De'Aaron King coming back at quarterback. He's going to be healthy. He's been rehabbing like crazy. They say he ran 20 miles per hour in practice three weeks ago. So he's going to be ready. And then also Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz, he coached at Texas. We know him really well. Uh, he has an opportunity to really turn that program around to the Miami of old. And so I think that of all the, all the week zero and week one matchups, I think the Miami matchup versus Alabama could really be a, a major turning point. Well, there's no question. And I think if Miami starts focusing on the moment and the helmet on the other sideline, they're in big trouble. Worry about Miami and let each play take care of itself. You know what? I, there's so many great matchups that, that weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend. But I'm going to go to week zero. And I think the team that needs a win is Nebraska. Not just Scott Frost, but Nebraska as a whole. Their fan base, okay? They need something good to happen to them. You've had abysmal performance on the field. Haven't been able to turn that corner. Then you have the offseason issues with NCAA allegations. They've got a dark cloud hanging over them. And I know they're taking on Illinois, but it's a conference game. And they need to do something to not only make themselves look good, but make themselves feel good. Create some confidence. Put your program in a position where maybe now some of that negativity falls by the wayside, even if it's just for a week. Get a big win, Scott Frost. No, I'm, I'm totally with that. And, and think about it. Like, back in the day, you think about, like, the black shirt defense, right, well, who Nebraska was. And think about what they were back in the Big 12. I remember back when I was playing in 2010, Texas was playing Nebraska in the Big, 10, Big 12 championship, the 2009 mm -hmm. year. And so Nebraska has a great opportunity, and Scott Frost 
have a great opportunity in week zero to really turn the table and really show what they're all about. And you guys, you know, it, it's fair to say that you can certainly recover from a week one loss. That's way too melodramatic to say you can't. But for a program that is trying to find an even keel, you also know that getting out in front and getting a win in that week zero, week one makes a huge difference, especially for a program like that. Again, trying to sort of bounce back, if you will. Uh, we're going to bounce back. We've got Vince Young coming up. We talked a little bit about Texas football. We're going to talk a whole lot more. A new documentary coming out about that tremendous 2005 season. He joins us to talk about it next. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. As we said, Keith, you can have the perfect defense called. You can force him out of the pocket, but you're not going to beat him. Invincible. of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. A leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm -hmm. like. Like, there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now, a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape, do you want to comment? 30 for 30 Podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clips. We reshot the scene, and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts. Three finalists here tonight. The star power of Vince Young, Matt Ladder, and Reggie Bush really energized this season. I remember going to a pre-Heisman party and Reggie Bush came in. And he was just like a rock star. I think Reggie Bush was getting this attention and this notoriety that we really hadn't seen in college football yet. It was hard to imagine somebody was going to beat him out for that Heisman. He was getting too much spotlight. I thought it was, I had a chance, but you know, Coach Brown kind of gave me a, a little bit of insight. I'd been there with Ricky Williams and they had given us a lot of attention so I could tell we, we were probably gonna win. But coming back, they were giving Reggie all the attention. None of them were around Vince. Uh, so I got a bad feeling. So I actually told Vince, I don't think you're gonna win. He says, Coach, I think I'm gonna win. I said, I don't think you're gonna win. He said, why? And I said, they're not giving us any attention. And I said, you need to be prepared to lose. If you win, it'll be easy. The 2005 Heisman Memorial Trophy. The winner is Reggie Bush from USC. 
this was a Heisman landslide. When Chris Fowler said, in one of the biggest landslides in Heisman history, when he realized he got blown out in the Heisman, I think that really hit him. Go back and watch the video when they announced the Heisman Trophy winner. Reggie Bush. When Vince gets pissed, he goes into this moment to where he just kind of, and he just looks up. And when he did that, it's literally, oh shit. That's the only thing you can say is, oh shit, he's pissed. Right now, I feel like I let my guys down. Uh, right now, I feel like I let my family down. And, and I feel like I let my whole city of Austin and Houston down right now, but that's how I am. And in my brain, I was like, oh, he's about to just go prepare for this game and good luck to everybody who stands in his way. After I did that, I called Rod Wright. I was pissed. I said, man, get the guys together. Let's go to work. And I'm selfishly like, good, good. You piss B.Y. off, you're gonna get his best. When he came back and he had that look on his face, like he was pissed off. We over there like, our prayers have been answered. The three-part series kicks off Monday exclusively on the Longhorn Network. I can't wait. Remember it like it was yesterday. Vince Young is with us. And Vince, uh, first of all, thank you. But when you watch that and you also think about what happened after that, the tremendous culmination to that season, what, what stands out to you? Hey, Wendy. Hey, Sam. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. What's um, up, B.Y.? What's up, brother? Oh, man, just the, the, the camaraderie and the memories. Uh, I don't think everybody understand how hard work, how much hard work that we put in um, to not only represent the, the state of Texas, but um, just Texas football in general. Uh, we was getting a lot of feedback that we're not tough. We were a little bit soft, and Sam can vouch for this. It's because Mad Dog ran the mess out of us that year. <laughs> But um, that would that kind of stuck with us to uh, you know work hard to get back to the position uh, to make it to the BCS for our first time. Yeah, Vince. I love that line when they said when you when you make when you make you mad, uh, you get the best. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna let these guys ask you a question, but I want to ask one more about Steve Sarkeesian, Vince, and why you think I know you had a great relationship with Mac, a great coach. Why do you think Coach Sark is the right fit for the Longhorns right now? Well, I could say with Coach Shark right now, his word is bun. Um, you know, Coach Brown did a fabulous job when he first came and recruited me, and not only just me, but the rest of my teammates. And they all said, when Coach said, I'm going to give you your chance, your shot, um, we knew that he was a loyal coach. And then the first thing Coach Shark said when he got there, he want us guys, the alumni guys, to be visible. And he's been that, been like that ever since he stepped there to that first uh, podium to speak on the first time of being the head coach at the University of Texas. So me personally, that means a lot to me. That means he's his word is bun. That means he really want to win. He's happy to be at the University of Texas. And he understand that, uh, you know, we have been down a little bit, but he understands how to get there. It's been around Nick Saban all these years. He understands that. <laughs> well, Vince, that's a, it's a great point you make about Nick Saban because I think with this proud program that is the University of Texas, one of the main criticisms has been that there's been way too many cooks in the kitchen. 
how does Steve Sarkeesian ensure that there is one voice and one person in charge of this program to eliminate all of those distractions that seem to have seeped into this program over the years? <laughs> That's easy. Win. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I mean, I had nothing against Coach Strong. I thought Coach Strong did a fabulous job. He had guys graduating at the top level. Um, I had no problem with Tom. You know, you know, those guys did what they could do at that time. It was just a down year for us. But, you know, as your high guys been paying attention from looking at our swim team to looking at our softball, basketball, you know, the momentum is back there. And now coach coming in and even though they had some some adversity at the beginning of the season as he got there from, you know, from Jake getting passed away, from guys getting COVID, you know, these guys have been through some some deep times already together. So I feel like that's going to help uh, help them push them guys to understand, guys, we got to hop on that train and start winning some ball games. And I think Coach Ark is doing a good job of communi communicating that to the team right now. Yeah, and VY, there's a lot of talk now. Obviously, good to see you again. A lot of talk now about Texas going to the SEC and how SEC is the best conference and all <laughs> this and all that. But uh, the question is this, like, what would you put up some phenomenal numbers? Like, what would you have done if you would have been playing at Texas if, and Texas would have been in the SEC? Well, let's just be honest, Sam. You know, if y'all look at the Big 12 and SEC record, I think we hold that that title so right now. <laughs> but at the same time, I think them guys, I think those guys, I think it's going to be good for college football, definitely. Um, you know, the SEC is a, definitely a competitive uh, conference and, and with uh, Texas and uh, OU going over there to make it even more stronger. Um, and then as well as the playoffs going to, I think, what, uh, 12 teams now. I mean, I think it's going to be pretty good. So, um, you know, I'm happy about it. But right now, you know, I think Texas football need to focus on finishing the Big 12 off strong right now. So, Vince, given the career that you had, take the 21, 20-year-old, 19-year-old version of you <laughs> and put it in the world of NIL. What Ooh. would Vince Young be? <laughs> With NIL. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I would have had some hair. My hair is gone. <laughs> but it would have been unbelievable. You know, um, I think it's really good that it's stuff like that is happening. It also could teach young men, young ladies, you know, how to take care of their finance, how to find the right people, learn the financial literacy. You know, I, I don't think they should focus on that doing a seat that, that stuff needs to happen in off season. Uh, I think they need a straight focus on sports and football and they, and they books, but you know, I think it's good for them because a lot of these kids, they get hurt and they didn't ever play a down again in their life. So uh, for them to, you know, for the university or uh, for NCAA to make money off these young men um, and then they have opportunity to make money on themselves. I think it's a, a really good deal. I know a lot of people are mad about it, but it also teaches the young men and young ladies a lot of stuff about the business world. Things are changing, Vince. And listen, I know you probably got a preview, but my guess is you'll be watching on Monday. I know we will be. We look forward to reliving that uh, with you and appreciate you joining us this afternoon. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Good, good, keep up the good work, guys. Sam, my boy. All right. <laughs> my guy. Thank you, good College to see Football Live. We'll be right back <laughs> after this.
football. Oh my God, we're back again. Brothers, sisters, everybody sing. Gonna bring the flame, I'll show you how. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> Got a question for you, better answer now. Oh, here we go. The 16th annual MEAC SWAC Challenge kickoff game Saturday. Alcorn State squaring off against NC Central at Center Park Stadium in Atlanta. Our celebration of the HBCUs begins at 7 Eastern on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and College Game Day will be there as well. I can't wait. We're getting there, guys. Uh, I'm going to ask you each this. Uh, Sam, we'll start with you. Three Three players that you absolutely have to know before we start the season. Give me three names. Yes, well, the season's getting ready to start, so y'all can pay attention to these three guys. Number one, Brian Brzee out of Clemson. This dude is a baller. Show the tape. Watch what this guy's about to do. He's 6'5", he's 290, and he's a beast. Like, you should be scared of number 11 for Clemson. Yes, he was a freshman last year. He's a sophomore. He's older. He's more mature. He's a beast. So that's number one. Number two to look out for. This dude is also a beast. His name is Derek Stingley Jr., and he's a monster. Watch this film last year. You watch this guy play. He's always around the ball. He has perfect technique. He's number 24, so keep your eye out for him. Just watch, like, literally, like, LSU's known as DBU because of him. So there's that. And last but not least, another DB out of Northwestern. This dude's name is Brandon Joseph. He had four picks in three games last year. Like, every, put it this way. Forget everything else I said and listen to this. Just close your eyes when the Northwestern game is playing. If you hear someone get an interception, you can almost guarantee that is Brandon Joseph. That's literally how good he is. So those are my three to watch as we begin this college football season. Well, I'll I tell like you, it, I'm Luke. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Wendy. I'm going to start off uh, with the University of Alabama. I think they're going to have their best defense in years, and I think their pressure percentages are going to be way up because of Will Anderson. This kid is a monster. If you get him one-on-one -on, -one on an island, there are going to be very few tackles in college football that will be able to handle him. So you break the huddle, you better know where he is on each and every snap. By the way, when was the last time that Dan Mullen coached an unproductive quarterback? I think Emory Jones at Florida is going to have a breakout year. Now, the offense might look a little bit different, a little bit more quarterback run with his athleticism, but Dan Mullen coaches productivity. Emory Jones will be productive. And you got to replace Travis Etienne at Clemson, right? Look no further than the true freshman in Will Shipley. Maybe he's not the starter initially. He's going to be in the rotation. I think he becomes a starter, and I also think he could be a difference maker as a punt and returner, and also every bit the receiving target that Travis Etienne was during his career. Very excited about Clemson. Tough break for ETN, by the way, starting his NFL career out yeah. for the season. Listen, uh, we started the show, Luke. You made a reference to feeling old since you evaluated our friend Sam here. Now, I've got some friends in the research <laughs> department, all right, able to dig this up. Uh, here's your evaluation. Uh, Sam, what in the world? Luke's what you got? <laughs> <laughs> no, I respect it. I saw this. I'm looking at it like literally like me and Lugs became best friends as soon as I read this evaluation. Oftentimes, these evaluators, they hate <laughs> on you. Lugs, they hate on me. He gave me four stars, and I took every single one of them. <laughs> I say, oh, do we just right. become best the friends? The check's in the mail. You want to do karate <laughs> in the garage? I got you. I got you. Let's do it again tomorrow <laughs> at 5 o'clock. See you then, everybody.